minute. It looks like, uh-oh, go live. I want to go live. I did see that it said live. We well, it, LinkedIn's being kind of funky, though. Hold on. Shoot. <clears> Hold <throat> here. So for you on Facebook and YouTube, you're seeing the you're seeing how the sausage is made. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out how to go live on LinkedIn. So give me a minute. Why isn't it letting us? The good news is we can edit this when we go publish it, but for now, <laughs> see if this lets us back in. Well, technology. I think we're now going to be live. Let's see here. Hold, hold the phone. Okay. This is the only time I miss my multi-screens, I must say. I know. I, got, I have multi-screen going, but I'm not seeing what I wanted to see. But we are live and we're recording. And so let's get started. Welcome to our FinTech Friday Live. It, it is actually Friday and we are actually live, depending on when you're seeing this. Thank you all for tuning in. Hopefully you're seeing us on LinkedIn, uh, Facebook, YouTube, uh, or wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm super excited about this conversation and really uh, honored to have this panel join me for this conversation. So let me kick it off by introducing the panel, and then we're going to get into this, this conversation. So first, I'll go Brady Bunch style from my right and around the corner, Michelle Young. Michelle is a mortgage industry executive. Um, she and I shared um, offices for, for a time and as part of our career path. She is part of the St. Louis Mortgage Mafia, proudly, um, and is uh, today focuses on consumer housing advocacy in her role as a senior advisor at America's Homeowners uh, Alliance. Did I get that right, AHA? Yes, thank Welcome, you. Welcome, Michelle. It's always great to, to see you and to catch up. Thanks for having me. Samantha Markwood. Sam is a Chief Operating Officer at Birchwood Credit and is, has a long storied career in the credit industry. Um, and Sue Buswell, you may know Sue as Sue Knows the Score or hashtag, hashtag Sue Knows the Score. <laughs> Sue is a uh, longtime uh, industry expert in all things credit with, I believe your career started in one of the bureaus and spent time in the CRA space. And uh, today, Sue is focused on educating uh, folks in our industry, specifically people in the industry that face off every day with consumers on all things credit. Uh, if you're not following Sue, and Sue knows the score, you're missing out. Um, she is awesome. And you guys are all awesome. I appreciate you guys joining me for this conversation. Welcome. Thank you, Brian. I, I know I'm excited to be here. And, and when you say long time, I'll just go ahead and say it because why not? Um, started back in 1985. So I like to say I, I 
have been here since before credit scoring and I'm still going strong. So <laughs> happy to be here. Awesome. So let me set the stage a little bit for this conversation because it's we've had to pivot, right? This is the, the this group. We're all um, longtime mortgage uh, folks, so we know the idea. We know that you have to pivot from time to time. And when we first scheduled this conversation, we were really going to focus on probably the more technical aspects of what was the coming soon changes to credit from tri merge to buy merge and the inclusion of. Vantage 4.0 and, and FICO 10T and all the all the stuff that goes around with that. Still super important, I think, for the industry to understand those technical aspects, but we're not going to really get into that today. There's there's time for that. I think what we want to talk about today is is going a layer deeper into these changes and why they're even why was it even on the table? What what led us kind of to this place where we were going to have a we are going to have a significant change to the credit pro, the credit reporting process uh, for mortgage specifically by the way long overdue i think we all agree the changes are long overdue but how did we get here and i think uh, michelle i'd like to kind of lean in on you a little bit to, to kind of kick off this conversation because aha and some of the folks at aha and their past lives at vantage score really have been at this for what 15 years yeah a little bit a little bit longer than that i think it's all in 17 years and i would like to just first um caveat some of my comments by letting everyone know i have never been employed by vantage score nor have i been compensated by vantage score um <laughs> for these comments or any other i uh i actually have only met the Vantage Score executives one time um, in my entire career. And I, I think that's important because I, I do want to um, credit heavily the Vantage Score executives with a 17 year slog. And that's what it is. Um, and and I, I think it's important to recognize um, this incredible contribution to consumers in, in America and to the lending in industry in total. Um, it's pretty incredible. And I, and I wrote about it and these are kind of more editorial comments, but you know, nobody wants to hear about your 17 year old deal. They really don't, you know, so just imagine these Vantage Score guys, like it's year 10 and you're like, you know, they're sitting around with loan officers and, and other um, executives in the mortgage industry. And, you know, people are like, so how's that, that 10 year initiative going on, um, you know, <laughs> uh, credit reform? You know, we, we think we're ever going to get there. Oh, yeah, yeah. We're making, you know, significant progress. You know, the point is, is that these things take time. They take a commitment of capital. They take a commitment of um, personal brand. Um, a lot of political capital goes into making these things happen. So um, 17 years ago, the Vantage Score folks um, decided that they wanted to get into the mainstream mortgage space and, you know, reflect on where we were 17 years ago. Um, that was that was probably a, a pretty tough bid um, is what I'm guessing at that time. But the real driver for that, these type of wholesale changes are typically consumer groups and consumer advocacy groups who are the watchdogs for um, American consumers. And the, the reason why these groups were able to get behind 
um, Vantage score so easily was because the addition of Vantage score in other credit scoring models has the potential to bring 37 million new credit um, eligible, homeowner eligible um, borrowers to the marketplace, which is absolutely, absolutely incredible in terms of homeownership and generational wealth creation. What, let's, let's kind of, let's poke at that a little bit because that's, the, those numbers are astounding, right? Um, set aside current market conditions, lack of inventory, affordability, all those things are real. We live in that world today. Set that aside. Just focus on this uh, this expanded population of potential home buyers, right? Uh, you know, Sue and Sam, I'd love kind of your thoughts on, you know, how real how real is the are those numbers, and and what are some of the things that we should be thinking about, especially those that are on the front line with consumers every day to be ready for that, that potential wave of, of new, new entrance into the space. So Sam, if you don't mind, I'll, I'll kick off and then and hit it over to you. So, you know, when you review what Vantage score brings to the market, 37 million new scored borrowers. But as we're talking about these FHFA changes, what we're talking about is over 10 million of those will start with a 620 or higher score, right? So, that's part of reason why we want these changes to come to the market, right? So 10 million more borrowers, and we're not talking inventory, that's a whole different show, mm -hmm. uh, but 10 million more scored borrowers who under the current models are credit invisible, they don't have a score. And that doesn't even give them the opportunity to have the conversation about homeownership. So now we're gonna have 10 million more people who are going to follow fall into those GSE guidelines of 620 or higher. And part of that comes from the way that FICO um, allows someone to get a score. And Brian, we can we can dovetail into that later. I'll let Sam kind of talk about, you know, what kind of lender questions is she getting about? What is, what is this going to do for me as a mortgage lender? Yeah, no, thank you, Sue. I appreciate it. Um, <laughs> well, I, I'm hoping that during this conversation and kind of why I'm excited we're having this conversation, you know, naturally in our industry, we kind of pause. I'm um, waiting until the last second before we start diving in and, and trying to learn the change and, and the new lay of the land to come. Um, but I think it's very important for all of us, especially those that are working directly with consumers, um, our lender partners out there to really understand this change and how it's going to impact their consumers, because we're going to get tons of questions coming in from those consumers, right? Um, you know, we've been so accustomed for many, many, many years uh, following that same scoring model in, in our industry. But now we're opening up the gates where there's going to be opportunity, huge opportunity for us to work with some of these folks who will now be eligible and have opportunity to, to get into a home for that, that first time home buyer. Um, but how are we going to address that? Um, how are we going to educate those consumers? We're no longer going to be looking at a mid score. We're going to be looking at this average score um, as we're introducing this, this new scoring model. So, you know, I think it's important in, in some of what I'm hearing from our partners is, okay, well, what's changing? What's different? Why now? Um, this, this vantage score coming in, 
Um, how is it going to help these additional users? What's that look like? Um, and we really have got to get in, in front of our partners, our lenders, our consumers, um, and, and start talking about that, start talking about these changes. Uh, but I think what's kind of holding us back from really engaging and talking about these changes is, do we really know uh, all the ins and outs of, of those changes? Do we really know the positive impact um, that it's going to have on these, you know, this huge number of consumers that now opens up the, the door for opportunity? Um, are we, do we feel comfortable in our seats that we sit in today to, to talk through that? Um, and I know, Sue, obviously I've worked with you for a long time and, and you are very knowledgeable when it comes to the, the credit score and, and all things credit related, really. Um, so those are those are things I really what I'd like to talk about a little bit today. You know, how are we going to address those questions? How are we going to advocate for our consumers and how are we going to educate them and educate our partners? I think um, I love I love that angle because. One of the things that um, I think about in today's market for, again, that frontline industry expert mortgage advisor who's who's facing off with not only customers, but prospective customers, mm -hmm. uh, it all starts with conversations. And this population that we're talking about is, is coming down the road, right? But it's not, it's not too soon to have conversations. And the more, you know, this is, I'm kind of spinning this into a little bit of a LO coaching session, but I think it's important. And this is why we're having this conversation is to share your, your all's knowledge on these topics so that loan officers can have early, early, early conversations with consumers and get those people on a, the right path yep. towards homeownership and it could take six months or it could take six years. But it, the point is having conversations leads to opportunities. And that's what I want this, the takeaway from this is find nuggets in these, in what we're talking about today that you can take and use in your daily engagement in your communities to be that trusted source of education. And in this case, talking about how the, how there is going to be an expansion, right? We don't know what the timing is going to be. That that's all going to get figured out. Um, but that's that's the the opportunity is to have conversations, build relationships, build your database, and lean in heavily with with you know education. And Brian, I'm gonna I'm gonna add this piece to it, and I'm gonna throw it back to Michelle because I think that there's. You know, we're talking about something that may be coming in 2025, right, is the final adoption, you know, and you've done a great job of talking about the Gen Zs, right, the millennials, the people that are going to be buying in the next, you know, two to three years. They're the ones that need to start having these conversations now. So the, the very basic, you know, thing that everyone could be talking with their customers about today is you still have to get credit right? You still have to have credit to get credit. And yeah. that does not change with Vantage. Vantage does provide a significant advantage, if you will, um, which is where we get these, you know, new scored borrowers. 
FICO in the 10T model will still require six months of active credit history in order to score a borrower. Okay, we all, we're all used to that. You have to have at least one account that's been open and active in the last six months from the date of the credit pull to get a score. Okay, Vantage Score looks at it differently. If you've had one month of activity in the last 24 months, you'll score. Even if you have public records, you'll score. So, Michelle, if you want to chat a little bit more about the timeline and some of the advocacy, you know, that's been going on, I think I think um, we're kind of starting to we, we don't want to just blow you guys out with all this information. We want to kind of walk you through this piece by piece. So, Michelle, I'll flip it back over to you. Sure. So, um, again, <laughs> I feel like I'm always caveating. Um, but these are my opinions, and so I'm representing them wholly as the opinions of Michelle Young. I um, want to see us run towards implementing Vantage Score and fulfilling the promise that was made to the American people. And I view, this is very strong language, and this is very, very intentional. It takes, it takes so much to get a bill passed in Congress. Mm-hmm. We have a bill, Senate Bill 2155, that has already been passed. It had a, an expected implementation date associated with it of 2025. I think everyone in the industry understands the impacts of the last several years and the market conditions and understands the impacts that implementation of, these, uh, of this magnitude has in organizations across of every size and scale across the um, mortgage lending spectrum. So I don't think anyone would be surprised to see that date slip and, uh, and there to be a delay. But right now we have no date. We, it could be 2052 at this point in time um, when these changes will be implemented. In my personal opinion is that, that that wholesale change needs to take place um, as quickly as we can arrange it and is is orderly and makes sense for consumers of America as well as the lending industry. Um, just also an aside, the um, the buy merge try merge discussion was not part of um, was not initially part of Senate Bill twenty one fifty five in those discussions. This has been in ancillary secondary requirement that has been apart and separate from those lobby efforts, um, those very, very successful ones I might add. And um, and so I we don't necessarily have um, histrionics on the development of that and where that came from. Again, the Michelle Young presiding um, opinion on this, and this is based on, as Brian indicated before, we've um, shared desks together. Um, we both have a long history in the business and have um, long history with implementations, large scale implementations. I personally have set, have stood up two loan origination systems. One I built from scratch and the other one I put up in six months for Fortress um, NationStar. These, these are difficult changes to make. And in my opinion, the tri-merge, bi-merge discussion should be tabled um, while we do impact studies in parallel with implementing the changes that were originally supposed to be made in 2025. That makes the most sense to me. 
in terms of moving those things in parallel. Let's get the let's get the Vantage score changes made and let's give the lenders um, across America and the other financial institutions um, time to do some material back testing of their vintage books. Okay, because risk management, I'm, I'm sure Samantha, you know, can I, can very much appreciate this. Um, we need to give lenders the opportunity to understand what these whole scale changes mean for them from a risk management perspective. Yep. Absolutely. And I couldn't agree with that more. Um, you know, really analyzing the data, um, the scores coming through when you talk about a tri-merge to fully get the big picture. Because when you talk about a bi-merge, there, there's absolutely going to be risk associated, especially if we don't know what that's going to entail. In today's world, it's not the same as it was years and years ago. The majority of creditors, sure, they report to all three bureaus, but they still all don't. Um, so there, there is naturally going to be some risk associated there if, if we go down that path and start re, you know, really focusing on that bi-merge credit report. You know how I could go on and on and on, but I, I'm not going to because I think we're we're staying away from that today. But um, I still think it's very important to 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 bring up because you are as a lender, um, you're going to want to analyze that data. How are you going to make that determination um, on what bureaus you're you're pulling um, it, when when we do come to the buy merge credit report? Yeah, I, and, and yeah, I flashed a comment, a question from Chad Masters uh, asking, has there been any clarification uh, what bureaus will be used and how? So who wants to take that one? Yeah. We've been talking about it. I'll happily step into it and I'll okay. share some um, unofficial studies that I've done. And I, I'm going to do Michelle's same disclaimer. Uh, we're we're I'm not compensated by Vantage Score or anyone else who we're talking about today. So we're just sharing what we know again, right? We've got over 100 years of experience on this panel today bringing, bringing you this information. I know. I'm going to take the majority of it, Brian. So there you go. <laughs> so we've got um, no clarification right now, Chad. You know, we've got the timeline, and I think we've got some links that we're going to share with you guys after this, which will give you that timeline. But basically, it's been set up, and in the FAQs that you'll see from Fannie and Freddie, if you download their book, it's lender choice. So let's say we went to a buy merge, and I've had a couple of lenders who have responded within my LinkedIn post as I did this call to action. And I said, take four or five files off your desk. You know, take a look at your mid scores, jot those down, and then, you know, simulate the fact that you're doing a buy merge average score and tell me how it would turn out, right? Um, I posted about this yesterday and the, the findings were interesting because the highest score borrower uh, with a mid score of 741 by going to a buy merge average score, according to today's LLPA charts, had worse pricing than he would have with the mid score. The lowest score borrower out of the four that were presented, um, his actual average score gave him better pricing. So there's a lot of controversy around this. And right now it's lender of choice. I personally think, I think that's, I'm gonna say that three more times, think that what they're trying to do is perhaps address some of the price concerns that lenders have been talking about since the significant price increases went in last year. Mm -hmm. Those price increases were meaningful to the borrowers and to the lenders to purchase a tri-merge credit report with three scores. So that's my 
personal opinion, and that's all that it is, is we'll give a little price break by going to a buy merge. The thought process that FHFA has shared is when you go to a buy merge, you're not seeing more than a 10 point difference. The folks that are sharing their in office, you know, very informal tests with me are saying it's more than that. Um, I had another individual who said that 60% of the time, the buy merge average score was higher than the mid score. So I think that's to take it back to Michelle saying we need the data. And when you look at that timeline from FHFA, they were going to release the data to the lenders that that they felt confident in moving to this buy merge. It's supposed to be coming out in Q3 2023 with the idea of a buy merge would be implemented in Q1 2024. And then Q3 2024 is when more fun stuff comes. But Sam, I'm going to slip over to you for your comments. No, I, and I really, I mean, I guess I have a few things to say, but it really does just stem back to exactly what Michelle is saying and, and collecting this data and really understanding the change of the scoring, um, what that's going to do to these consumers as into us as an industry and what that looks like, um, you know, talking from the lender perspective and the folks that I, I get to work with every single day. You know, those are a lot of their questions. Um, it's price break to a, from a tri-merge to a bi-merge, maybe. Um, but really, because I feel like, you know, to, to really in the beginning stages, we're going to I see a lot of lenders doing that tri-merge soft pool um, to, to analyze all the data. And then from there, it's, it's going to be understanding what's the right way the fair way across the board to then choose a buy merge. Um, you know, even from from lender to lender, is there a competitive disadvantage from you know shop A choosing two bureaus versus shop B choosing you know a, a different two bureaus? Um, I do think that we're you know we're already headed in that direction of of the prequal soft pull report. But what does that look like? You know, is it going to be lenders wanting to see all the data pulling a tri merge um and then making that determination later in, in the process okay well these two bureaus are higher have a higher average so i'll choose these ones um there's just a lot of data and analytics i feel as an industry that we need to capture and understand so you know we're still making the right decisions um and, and for our partners to really grasp how they're going to do this and, and what's the right way to do it. Um, I think that this is, again, so exciting for our industry as we grow um, and open up opportunities, but we really have to have our arms wrapped around the right way to do it um, so that so that it's fair. Yeah, one, one perspective that I would give from uh, my past life, you know, and the, and the mortgage production side is typically when you have significant change like what we're talking about um, the hope is that it takes cost out of the process but the reality is you may very likely have a window of time could be three months could be two years who knows how long where lenders need to protect themselves as well and so it, it could be that we have a flat to increased cost over some period of time as this thing gets kind of absorbed and in incorporated before there's actually um, less cost. So I don't, I don't, I'm not sure that people should get overly excited about expecting to see, you know, the cost of credit 
going down anytime soon. I don't think that's going to be the reality. Again, well, I think, opinion, I think opinions I, expressed here are mine only. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Brian, I think if anything, um, you could actually see the cost of credit going up um, in other areas. And, and we've seen this in, you know, the the 12,000 plus dollars we now have associated with, with loan manufacturing costs. Okay. So anytime we make a change that we think is going to save the consumer money. Um, and as Sam has done a remarkable job of pointing out, we don't know what the impacts are. And I think this is a great example, especially in this industry of how, um, you know, our favorite saying is always uh, the devil's in the details. And it's because it is in mortgage lending. You know, we have these wholesale changes that happen at a very, very strategic level at a policy level. But we all know it's the execution of those policies at the most tactical levels, which is what we're talking about right now. Um, and that's where the rubber meets the road. And that's where the consumer and the industry, you know, end up rubbing up against one another. And what this unfortunately leaves with, without clear guidance that is has been presented and provided on the heels of um, a lot of data and thoughtful consideration, without guidance to the industry, it leaves consumers at risk to get redlined um, for disparate impact predatory lending because then you have lenders who are making discretionary decisions based on profitability and not necessarily in the best interest of the consumer. And so I think you've done a, you know, a remarkable job, Sam, of, of really highlighting those risks. Um, and I, I, the one thing I would want to leave um, everyone on this call with is that you have a voice. Please advocate. You don't have to have to sign up for America's Homeowner Alliance. I, I hope you do. It's it's free. I really do. I hope you do that. It's it's a great organization. But there are other great organizations that speak for the consumer and the industry as well. And please don't think that your voice doesn't matter. Call the MBA. Um, call the guys at at Alta. Yeah, they have nothing to do with credit, but they're the watchdogs of the industry. They care. Understand. You know, please exercise, exercise your voice is what I would I would ask everyone to do. Hey, uh, Michelle, yeah. I want to talk a little bit about AHA. Uh, so America's Homeowners Alliance, right? Correct. AHA.com, I believe, or is it .org? Um, my A, my AHA.com. <laughs> so M-Y, like Michelle's initials, my A-H-A. Dot com. Yeah, Everybody the MY thing's totally accidental, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody that's watching should go uh, to myaha.com, sign up. It's free. Doesn't obligate you. I I I signed up like five years ago. Um, was harassed by uh, by uh, Phil Bracken to do that, so I fulfilled my civic duty, my Phil duty. Uh, but it's uh, it's a great organization and there's tons of tons of information available there for consumers most important and michelle hit on this this is where we and we're all consumers we're all in this homeowner space some of us are connected to it because we work in it some of us are connected because we're part of it right regardless of that we're we're all consumers but everybody that 
you're talking to, and I'm talking to the loan officers out there, you should be driving your prospects to uh, have their voice heard through AHA. You know, I think there's over a million consumers represented today in AHA and really to make, uh, to really make change uh, and, and have the vo our voices be collectively heard, we need to 5X that number. We need five plus million consumers to be part of AHA. And that, that starts to really move the needle. They're, they're already extremely active in DC. They're already representing us every day. And they've been part of this, this 17 year journey that we talked about with Vantage Score but can't understate how important it is to be involved. It's no different than how we're all hopefully involved with the Mortgage Bankers Association and the MAA, the Mortgage Action Alliance, right? And so this is just another way for the consumer voice uh, around home ownership to, to have, have a seat at the table where it matters most. So that's our plug for uh, AHA. A couple of questions have come in that I think will be kind of good for us to, to go a little deeper. I wanted to do this anyway. Um, so Joe is asking Sam, <laughs> when will Fannie and Freddie implement FICO 10 and or Vantage? I think we're in that, we're in that pending stage, right? That's kind of part of the most I recent believe, notice. Yeah. And, and I'll, I'll let Sue correct me if I'm wrong. Um, <laughs> but I think the initial timeline was, was Q3 2024 is when that implementation for FICO 10 and, and the Vantage score. Um, to come into our world. Yeah, and I'll, uh, I'll expand on that a little bit, Sam. So the original idea was the buy merge first. So, uh, you know, you're going to make your choice, however you do that, of which two repositories you're going to pull. Um, and from there, you would average your score. That was the idea. Um, Q3 of 2024, then you were going to have three scores per borrower on mm -hmm. your credit report. And you would be disclosing three scores per borrower, but you're going to be decisioning off of the current FICO models. So I think that's where I'm very concerned for the consumer and the loan officer and the mortgage lender and Sam and her team. Because as a consumer, if I get a score disclosure that shows my Vantage or my FICO 10T scores are higher or better than the current FICO models, I'm going to be on the phone with my loan officer and finding out why I didn't get a better loan. Right. And then if they're not sure, they're going to be telling me to call Sam because they don't do credit. They're just a loan officer. Right. They, you know, so they're going to, not all you guys do that. I know that, but I did, I was in the CA world, CRA world for, you know, like 20 something years. So they do that. And they're like, Sam, help me understand this. Help me explain it. So I think that's a huge consumer concern. If you're going to display and disclose the scores without consumer empowerment through education and without empowering our loan officers and our lenders with the education, um, it's going to it, it's going to be a significant industry um, problem. And I think to echo what Brian said, sign up. Uh, how does it affect pricing? Whoops, I didn't mean to put that one up there. No, I was going to say <laughs> we, already, we already covered. Yeah, we already covered that one. We'll answer that one that way. So who wants this, to take the next one? Yeah, Joe's Joe's okay. comment is is what we we're just talking about, right? It's yeah, it's already confusing. It I mean, is. Let's face it, the, the the average first time home buyer today, and probably for the last 20 years, 
had no clue when they were just getting started or just thinking about buying a home that there was even three scores to be considered. They didn't, they, why would they know that? Why would we know that? Right. Right. So there's, there's still, there's still just a blatant gap in knowledge absent the changes that are coming that are going to be even more confusing. I think from where, from my seat and from a lot of the advocacy that, that I'm doing and that I'm doing with some, some co-contributors to, to educate loan officers. These are all conversation opportunities. You, as a loan officer, you have the choice to become the expert resource in your community. And by the way, your community isn't just the geography that you reside and work in. If you're doing this at scale and using your social channels, your community is everywhere. And so this this is this is the opportunity for mortgage advisors to separate themselves from loan officers and really lead with education and start and it starts with understanding what we're talking about here and going a layer deeper so that you can be that source of of information and education in your community. And by the way, when you do that, you're going to build trust and you're going to put yourself in a position to earn the opportunity to win the business when that opportunity arises. So um, agree with Joe, it's confusing, but that's where the opportunity lies is to be that source of education. There's another great comment here that I think we can put up because it's going to, this is where I wanted to go as well. Um, A little bit more technical than maybe we planned, but I think this is part of the importance of understanding the nuanced differences between FICO 10T and Vantage 4.0, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Sue, do you want to start there and then we can kind of riff on that? Yeah, I sure will. So, um, Chad, great question. And I would say that, you know, Vantage score and FICO, they're they're following the same, you know, low score. So 350 to 800, that's the same. Um, but they Vantage score has sliced the pie, if you will, the credit attributes differently. So we're all used to FICO today, 35, 30, 15, 10, and 10, right? Like I think everybody pretty much gets that. That's how they slice that pie. Vantage score is doing it differently. 41% of a Vantage score is your payment history, right? And then they're adding um, another emphasis to delinquencies. FICO models traditionally have been calculated to you know, what's the risk that a consumer will become delinquent on any debt within the next two years? That's that's how FICO works. The Vantage score 4.0 is looking at not only what's the risk of a consumer becoming delinquent on any debt, but they're also going to be looking specifically at mortgage delinquencies. So I think that's a big change. Um, I think that's an interesting change for, for Vantage score to put in there. And I think if I were a mortgage lender, I would be much more concerned about delinquencies that are mortgage related than are credit card related. So I like this change um, very much, but there's also some uh, additional changes. And, and Sam can talk a little bit about trend data. I, when I was in the CRA world, I always you know said it's like, people are trying to read the tea leaves of trend data. They're trying to read more into it than it is. Um, and it's, you know, basically, are you a transactor or a revolver, right? But if you are one or the other, your score will be influenced either positively or negatively. So Sam, I don't know if you wanna kind of talk a little bit about trend data and how the industry had to react to that when it first came out. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I can talk to it. I think, you know, when, when trended data came out, similar to where we are now, right, we had lots of questions. 
um, on really what that was going to look like. But I think the positive um, that, well, the negative was the credit report was 75 pages long. Um, but but the positive was really being able to take a look inside a, of a consumer's payment, actual payment trends. Um, you know, maybe their, their revolving debt is high. Um, okay, but they, I can see clearly at, when I'm looking through this trended uh, data that although this consumer might use their credit cards for everything to get their points, probably, uh, they're paying that debt off every month, not making, you know, the minimum payment each month, but we could take a deeper dive in really ingest and understand uh, the consumer's capabilities, um, responsibilities, if you will, on paying that debt. So it just it, it opened up the doors for us as lenders, I say us, but for lenders um, to have a better idea of, of the responsibility of um, of how that that debt is being is being paid, um, which I thought was was huge, uh, a huge step for us to open that up. So yeah, and I think Brian, as we talk about you know some sort of takeaways for the loan officers, for you know those frontline people, for real estate agents, because quite often they're talking with that consumer before a loan officer has even come into it. You know, if if the borrower is a revolver, meaning I have a five thousand dollar balance, I make my minimum payment every month, I'm not late, but I never pay that really pay that balance off, then I'm a revolver, and that will affect my score on both FICO 10T and on Vantage score differently than if I'm a transactor. So, like Sam was talking about, if I run, you know, I'm carrying a twenty thousand dollar balance on a twenty thousand dollar credit card. Um, you know, old FICO scores, that, that could be a big issue. New scores with trend data, they're going to see that you're paying that balance off every month because that balance is reflected at that moment in time that that score was calculated. So there's going to be some very positive. I think that these are all positive. I'm going to go back to Michelle's statement. We want this to happen. So the implementation timeline, the idea that we're going to put three scores on a file in March or in Q3 of 2023, and then they're actually going to become used in 2025. That's the idea of the timeline today. Um, but I think, Brian, we know that there's been some recent announcements that, that timeline is could be going in flux. It hasn't been announced yet, but it could be. Yeah, and I think that's another maybe public service announcement to those that are, that are uh, able to have their company's voice heard. Um, there's a process, you know, we're, we're going to be in this stage of, of um, collecting feedback from the industry, right? And mm -hmm. this is one of those where you don't want to be on the sidelines and then, no. you know, cry the blues down the road because something happened that you didn't want to happen. This is where your voice needs to be heard. And so I would encourage everybody that's that's listening and watching um, find out you know who in your company kind of has that that pipeline to you know the GSEs or the FHFA uh, and make sure that your company's being represented in these conversations uh, that's that's the biggest opportunity we have now with this recent you know announcement that things are being delayed is that there's a, a better chance to collect more yeah. feedback and then hopefully, that all leads to a, an implementation process that isn't going to, you know, be so disruptive to the to the industry. You know, Brian, if I could just make a, a you know, kind of a larger point, I don't want to get too tangential. And I, I know we were going to 
try to stay away from the other issues such as um, inventory. But in terms of driving business and driving sustainable business for our lending community and for our country, I don't know of any other thing that we have, any other initiative that we have in front of us that could generate more potential business for us than this implementation of Vantage Score today, literally. And I want to, I just want to ask everyone to take a step back. Um, again, don't want to shift the, the conversation to inventory, but we are in a historic time in mortgage lending. We have a massive housing crisis that we are dealing with. We think it's somewhere five, possibly 7 million units. Um, we're producing 1.6 million units a year. The majority of those have been um, uh, multifamily. Single family is now starting to pick you know, production back up, but we're going to be at a de deficit for an exceptionally long time for the foreseeable future um, without any huge scale policy changes being brought to bear. And what that has resulted in is a 33% cut out, take out from our market. We have 30% or better of this marketplace that's being purchased by all cash. So this discussion right now isn't even relevant. And there's a whole section of this ecosystem that we have yet to hear from as well. We have private lenders who are filling that space. Not everybody is um, a mega institutional investor or um, a solitary borrower coming to the table with cash. There are a lot of other players that are making up that ecosystem. But my point is, is that this has been rate, this is independent of rates. So whatever the Fed does next, <clears throat> To change this. We're not going to suddenly see an influx of 30% of our total volume that just left the market. We are running at 70% capacity and will be for the foreseeable future. If we want to increase home ownership responsibly and sustainably in this country, this is, in my opinion, the, the, the best way we have to do it. So please use your voice. Please use your voice with FHFA, with consumer groups, as Brian has outlined, whichever of these that you feel is most representative of your voice. But I think this is really important for us um, as uh, an industry to understand that we need to own our own self-preservation and driving business and taking advantage of these opportunities as they've been afforded us. Yeah, I think, you know, we've, we've talked about AHA, we've, we've talked about you know, FHFA, I, I would be um, remiss if I didn't mention some of the other trade uh, associations that represent the mortgage and housing finance industry. So the Mortgage Bankers Association clearly um, has a seat at the table and, and uh, they represent the collective uh, mortgage bankers voice in DC. Um, there's the Association of Independent Mortgage Experts, AIM, They've uh, stood up in the last, I think, 18 months, an advocacy um, channel within Ames that represents mm -hmm. the independent mortgage broker uh, collectively, um, and they're 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 spending a lot of time in D.C. And there's the National Association of Mortgage Brokers (NAM) that has longstanding, um, you know, presence in our industry and has always represented that independent mortgage banker voice. 
at, I'll call it an enterprise level. Um, but it all starts with individuals, right? It's, it's still the individual that has to be part of the process. So it, I know we're talking a lot about uh, the, you know, the, the voice of the consumer and the voice of our industry, but we can talk about it, but we have to put it in action and, and action is, you know, joining and then making sure your opinion is, is, is heard. So uh, yeah. let's see, we're, we're, this is great guys. I love when we have interactive um, conversations from the audience. We've got, uh, and I've got some of my team that's answering questions along the way. Um, well, Brian, one other thing I wanted to throw in there as we talk about, um, yeah, I like that. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> I'd vote for Michelle. <laughs> Is that these score models are not only going to help generate new homeowners, but they're going to help generate individuals that can get into rental housing. Yeah. You know, and I, I've shared this story before. You know, rental housing is often a step to home ownership, right? And I think there was a study out yesterday where it said that a lot of first-time homebuyers are coming from their home. Well, that I, I understand that, but I have a family member that who was, you know, needed help getting into their first rental apartment, and they had no credit. And the only way that they could get credit is if I made them an authorized user on my card. Now, mortgage underwriters everywhere are going, "Oh my God, she didn't just say that." I did say that because it was a rental, right? It was a lease. These score models will, inc will include rent payment history, positive rent payment history, right? I wish I had had that from the time that I was a renter, you know, going towards my credit score when I wanted to become a home buyer. But that's something that's going to be baked into these FICO and these Vantage score models. And I think it's important that we talk about some of these alternative credit pieces that are coming in there because housing in general you know we're in the mortgage space we're talking about home ownership but housing in general getting someone into a decent rental unit helps to build that thought process of you know i don't want to pay someone else's mortgage i want to pay my own mortgage so these models are not just important for our industry these models are important for the housing ecosystem um and that's just something i wanted to bring up that you know that's an important piece of it Love that. I love that. Uh, there's, uh, if I'm a loan officer and I'm I'm tuned in, the one thing I would want to leave with, and so hopefully we can do that in the next few minutes. The one thing I would want to leave with is, what's the best way for me as a loan officer to explain the difference between Vantage 4.0 and FICO 10T? Uh, you know, is there a way to explain it, and how? How best can I explain it as a loan officer? And if we can't answer it here, where where can I go learn about how to, to explain that to consumers? So I'll I'll jump in there. Um, so I did I found some information, a website that I thought was really neat, and I had a great visual that came from it's called Napkin Finance. Um, I have no you know, <laughs> no relationship with napkin finance, but I'm always on the lookout for, for visuals that are easy for us to understand and easy for us to pass on to our consumers, right? Because when FICO first came in the market, guys, I got the VHS tape so I could understand the score model and it was painful to sit through four hours of FICO training from a VHS tape, right? So I'm just saying, We've got better visuals, but that was one, and I and I dropped that um, recently, Brian. So 
you know, uh, they can they can pop over to my uh, yeah, Suno the store on LinkedIn anytime. I got a bunch of stuff out there, and that's actually a, a great segue. Uh, Sue is there's there's a ton of people talking about a lot of stuff on LinkedIn, mm -hmm. and there's no shame in ripping off what people are talking about and putting it in your no voice shame. and oh, no. using it to amplify. No shame. Yeah. Use it, use it, use it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I did, a, did a crazy post that I loved on Van Halen, and I was like, oh, yes, not only are you speaking my language and music, my friend, but you know, it was just yeah. an awesome post. So. Yeah, I'm the biggest ripoff artist there is. So, you know, if, if people are putting it out there, they're putting it out there for a reason, and, and you should be taking – that stuff and validate. Don't just you know, right. don't just cut and paste and, and make it yours and without validating. You don't want to, you don't want to step in that. But um, we we've created this newsletter that gets published mm -hmm. weekly. It's called Fin Talk, um, and it's a it's a combination of I don't know. There's 18 or 20 of us that are contributing to this newsletter, and the the sole objective of the newsletter is if I'm a loan officer or somebody that faces off with consumers every day, each time we publish a newsletter, we want you to find one nugget that you can take, you could cut and paste, use it on your own. You could, you know, massage it into your own, uh, you know, tone and language. But the whole point is we're doing it for all of you to better, to be in a better position to educate your communities. Um, and there's people, you know, People from the industry are contributing to this that are expert in their areas. Um, so take advantage of it. It's, there's a lot of that out there that I think um, if, if you're if you're paying attention to the right resources, you you are you will be armed with a ton of content that'll help you be that local source, uh, trusted source of financial uh, education as it relates to home ownership. Yeah, Brian, I wanted to mention, I know that Sam, I've seen something from Birchwood, a, a downloadable book. Um, so I didn't know, I kind of popped that on you. I don't know if you want to talk about that lady, but I, I yeah. Know. <laughs> yeah, just pop out. It's fine. Uh, no, thank you for mentioning that. I will, uh, our, our director of marketing um, did recently put out an ebook um, on our site. And I think it talks to a lot of um, the discussion that we had today specific to the changes coming in our industry. So I would absolutely encourage um, folks to go out and, and read it just to Brian's point, read it, digest it, dissect it. Um, and, and, you know, the more that we can learn and, and read about and understand the more questions that we'll have, that will help us collectively together um, just make sure we're, we're, we're headed down the right path and, and that we are, you know, knowledge is power um and that will just that will help us be better in the future so thank you sue for bringing that up uh and thanks matt for creating <laughs> <laughs> so we, we've got a few minutes left i want to just do a round robin and let each of you kind of get your final thoughts uh in and sam i'll start with you oh okay no uh, well i just want to say thank you to all of you for even um, asking me to be part of this webinar today. I really appreciate it. I think that you are all amazing folks in our industry. And it was just an honor to be on this webinar with you um, to really just give me a chance to say um, a few things specific to, you know, our lender partners and trying to understand what's to come for them um, in their world and, and things to change um, dealing directly with those consumers. Um, and, and, you know, just to my 
to my previous point, all I can say, and I guess my um, action plan, right, is just to really understand what's to come. Read, know that you have a voice, um, know that this is a positive change. This, this is a great opportunity, I feel like, for um, our consumers to, 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 to be able to get into a home. Um, I just think together that we continue to push forward and advocate for these changes, but really understand and, and digest, um, you know, how we're going to continue educating um, our consumers and ourselves as we move forward. So thank you all again for, for allowing me to be a part of this. Love that. Sue, you are up. Uh, yeah. So first of all, to hang out with this group of people for an hour and just talk about what we're all very passionate about has been the most, it's like been the highlight of my week. So this has been so much fun, Brian. I want to say thank you for proposing it. Um, and thank you to Michelle and for Sam for volunteering your time, your opinions, your ideas. Um, you guys are just, you know, the OGs of, of women in this mortgage industry. And I, I think, you know, we're going to have to do a 2.0, Brian. What I want everyone to take away from this is that there is an abundance of resources out there. Um, there's a Vantage Score 4.0 implementation guide. I'll be dropping a bunch of links on my um, site on LinkedIn today so you guys can get all of this. Uh, if you haven't been studying it yet, Follow Sam's advice, read it, study it, digest it, and then question it, right? I think that these new score models are absolutely necessary for our industry. And I think that there's a place for the buy merge. We just might have the cart before the horse. So with that, I'll leave it over to Michelle. I love it. Michelle, bring <laughs> us home. Make it a good, make this good. Let's, let's go. <laughs> so I, I would say use your voice and challenge us, challenge the old guard. Don't assume that just because we're confident and we sound like we know what we're talking about that we do. Um, sometimes looking at multidimensional problems in it with a new fresh set of eyes is makes all the difference. So please, please, you know, take an interest in this business. If you don't today, somebody else will, and you'll be left with uh, dealing with those decisions tomorrow. Um, so please, please use your voice. We don't have all the answers. And I feel like if conversations like this are what sparks the brain and gets, you know, the, the, the right conversation started and we get to the right answer, then I've done my job. Um, and so please just be an advocate for yourself, for this business and for consumers of America. I love that. Well, I, I've dropped uh, each of your LinkedIn profiles in the comments so folks can, if they're not already following you all, they, they need to be. Um, I put a link to our FinTalk newsletter so folks can sign up there and share that. Um, I'm so thankful that the three of you uh, agreed to this conversation. I know we had to pivot and uh, you guys were awesome on, on the pivot. I think this information is super helpful. I learned uh, a ton here as I always do when I'm uh, on calls with you guys. So I appreciate you. I appreciate everybody for spending an hour with us here. Um, and we will, we'll get this out so that we can share it in a broader sense as well. This is a, this is a great conversation. And I just, uh, again, appreciate everyone uh, spending the time with us. Thank you. Yay. Thank you. That's a wrap. Yeah. <laughs> That's a wrap. <laughs>